Thanks, I hope you're all well. Good to see you, everyone here in the room and those watching at home as well. As Rich said, my name is Matt, if you don't know me. Actually, Joe and I, yesterday, we took one of our kids to an, an open dach. She's heading up to the next tier of school. I don't know if any of you guys have had to do that experience. You visit different schools and then pick which one you want to send your kid to or which one they want to go to. And we were walking around meeting different teachers and asking questions. And one of the teachers asked us what our names were and we replied, but she misheard us and she thought that Joe was called Joan and I was called Charles. I don't know how she got Charles from Matt, but... So, uh, we, so we then decided, as we go to all these, because we've got lots more open dachs that we need to go to, that we'll just adopt different personas. And I will be Lord Charles Montague III, Earl of Sark. So if you could just call me that for now, that'd be great. Oh, that's a joke, by the way. Please don't call me that. Please don't. Right, okay, let's move on. We should do that quickly. If you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of Acts, uh, we've been starting a new series here this year, working through the back book of Acts, uh, the series called The World Turned Upside Down, which is what happens later on as we go through this quite dramatic story of what happens when Jesus' disciples after his resurrection. Uh, the book of Acts tells this 30-year story of how the church starts with this small gathering of 120 people in this room in Jerusalem. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and then this gospel church partnering movement starts that spreads all across the known world at the time to what they would have known as the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus going and affecting different places. And one of the cities it goes to is the city of Thessalonica, and you can read the story there in Acts 17 of what happens when the message of Jesus arrives in that city. And they said of it that it turned the world upside down. And that's what happens when the spirit of Jesus bursts into a place for the first time, begins to change everything. That's what happens when Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. When you invite Jesus into your heart, he will turn your life upside down. And as we go through this series, that's what we want to look at, how Jesus, through his people, the church, is turning his world upside down. And we're going to go, I guess you could say, right to the source today, to the, um, the beginning of this story in Acts chapter 2. So let me read it to us now. It says, when the day of... Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra, Panthilia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. So it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for this uh, incredible story. We thank you for this book, your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that the same power that flooded into that room 2,000 years ago is the same power that is still at work today. That Jesus, you're alive. That we believe in the resurrection, that you're alive today. And that you sent your spirit to, to be amongst your people, to dwell with your church and this morning we just want to invite you just to work afresh in our lives to even just as we listen this morning as we look at these words together that you would just fill our hearts afresh with your power God we don't want to leave this place this morning not knowing you working anew in our hearts we just invite you right now Holy Spirit just to come and Dwell here with us. Just come and meet with us, we ask. Amen. You see here in this story, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then it's a bit weird, this story, isn't it? <laughs> Even if you're a believer in Jesus, this story is bizarre if you think about it. What's happening here? This sound like a rushing wind fills the room. Divided tongues as of fire appear to them. And then they go out and they start speaking in languages that they didn't know before. That's miraculous. That's weird. That's unusual. And the question that this great crowd asks is... What does this mean? That's what they ask in verse 12. What does this mean? And that's an important question for us to ask today as well. 
Because if you are a Christian, if you do know Jesus, you've probably been in or heard of lots of different churches who have all sorts of different ideas about what the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes it can be a bit wacky, sometimes it can be a bit scary, sometimes it can be a bit unusual. And it's important to us to try and understand from this passage what he was doing then, but what the Holy Spirit is doing today and why it's important for us. So we're going to try and answer that same question. What does this mean? And what Peter does, Peter's one of Jesus' apostles, one of these men that Jesus had spent the last three years of his life investing in, teaching, essentially training him up for this moment. What Peter does is he, he, he turns to a passage in what we would call the Old Testament of our Bible, the book of Joel, to try and explain what's going on. And we're going to pick out a few bits from that little message. First of all, what the Holy Spirit does, what this passage means, is that the Holy Spirit creates. That's at the heart of what the Holy Spirit does. If you go back to the beginning of this book, even the very first verses in the book of Genesis, you see there the Spirit of God hovering over the waters that at creation, at the beginning of the world, the Bible story tells us is that the Holy Spirit was there breathing life, creating this ruach, this holy wind of God that flushed over God's new creation. So when Luke is telling us in his book, in his letter here about this sound of a mighty rushing wind, what the writer of this book is trying to do is trying to remind us of Genesis chapter 1. He's trying to say to us, the Holy Spirit that flooded over the earth to bring the world to life, to bring to creation to life, he's doing it again. That the Holy Spirit is coming with this creative power again. Because in a sense, what this story is, is it's, it's a, a recreation day. It's a new beginning for planet Earth. It's a new beginning for the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, here in the Netherlands, the, when, they, when they open up uh, the, the new sitting of parliament, Prinsjesdag, and the king gives a speech, or in, in America, uh, inauguration day, where the president, on his first day in office, gives a great speech to a great crowd of people. And both those events mark the beginning of something that a new season has arrived, that a new ruler has come with a new plan, a new king has arrived with a new message to bring. And in a sense, that's what's happening here with this great crowd of people that are hearing what's happened when the Holy Spirit has come. It's, it's an inauguration, it's a new beginning for humanity, that this recreative power is bringing this new creation and it's a new beginning for how we, as the people of God, relate to God. See, the Feast of Pentecost, which is why there's so many Jews, they're all gathered in this city, as it says at the beginning of the chapter, when the day of Pentecost arrived. What Pentecost was, was a great feast that the Jews would have um, after they've, uh, uh, about a month or so after their great Passover celebration, they would celebrate Pentecost. 
And one of the things they did on Pentecost was to remember how God gave them the law, which you can read about in Exodus chapters, well, quite a lot of Exodus, but particularly in Exodus chapter 32, chapter through to chapter 34, you see Moses, and he goes up Mount Sinai to receive the law of God. But then when he comes down from the mountain, having received God's law, God's plan for how they should live, he discovers that the Jews have turned away from God, that they've built a golden calf that they're gonna worship instead. That they actually say, we, we want to go back into slavery in Egypt. It was better there than this now, living in tents under this mountain where Moses just disappears up into this great cloud. They rebel, they turn against God. And in one of the more brutal passages of the Bible, 3,000 of them end up dying because they've disobeyed God. Whereas what we have in Acts chapter two is a reversal of that story. That if you read on to verse 41 of the story, it says, so when they respond to Peter's message, it said, so those who received his word and were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What the writer is trying to tell us here is this is a great reversal of taken place. That a new covenant has come, that a new relationship with God has arrived, that the law of God is now written onto our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's come, that we can now have a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit as this witness in our hearts that when we wanna follow God and follow his plans, that we actually can't do it by ourselves. that we need Jesus through the spirit to be at work in our life. And that's what's happening at the day of Pentecost. This great reversal has taken place of how we, how we relate to God, how we follow him. The presence of God is here. This fire that rested on each one of them. Again, the Bible uses this theme of fire again and again and again. In Exodus, when Moses is before the burning bush, when the people are walking through the wilderness at night and there's this pillar of fire ahead of them. In chapters, in passages like Ezekiel and Isaiah, you see the fire of God come, representing just the manifest presence and power of God. And the manifest presence and power of God has come now upon his people to form together a new humanity, a new society, a new way of life, the people of God, the church. This is God's plan for the world now. This is what this Pentecost story is telling us, that the Holy Spirit has brought about a new beginning for the world. And at the center of it, at the heart of it, is this 120 people that by the end of the chapter become 3,000 people, the people of God, the church. That's the, the, the very heart of this story is that God wants to send his power upon us to bring about his recreative power in the world around us. That right at the very heart of this is what he wants to do through the church. See, sometimes you might find yourself in a, in a maybe a difficult personal situation or something that's happening in the world that just seems horrible and broken. 
And you might think, what do we, what do, we do? How do we respond? You know, what do we, how do we help that person? And often we will, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll, you'll revert to almost like the, 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 the Sunday school answer. You'll say, well, they just need Jesus. This situation needs Jesus, which of course is true. But actually, I think the best way to reply is what that situation needs, what that person needs, is the church. It's the people of God. Because that's where God's presence is now. That, that's what's Jesus, what's Jesus doing in the world today. He sent his people to the church. That, that's, that's his plan A. And there isn't a plan B. That's his plan A, us. We're at the very center of it. I don't know if you've ever been to the, the Rijksmuseum just across the, the block there. And uh, about, um, I think about uh, 25 years ago, they, um, the building's been there for hundreds of years, but they've closed it for 10 years to renovate the whole building. And they stripped everything down and, and at least the inside, they, they rebuilt and renovated it all. And then they reopened it about uh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and the, the one painting that they kept in the center, all the other paintings, they moved around, they shifted different rooms, moved places, paintings to different places. Even if you go there now, if you go you know, two or three times, you'll notice that the paintings are often moving around to different spots. But the one that always remains, and did through this whole renovation, always will remain in the same place, is, is the Night Watch, Rembrandt's most famous painting. Because the whole, the whole building is designed around that painting. You're supposed to enter in through the main entrance, through this courtyard. You're supposed to go up this staircase, and you're supposed to walk into the back of the Ergalerai, the, the honor gallery, and the doors fling open, and at the far end of the room, you've got this painting, the night watch ahead of you, and you walk towards it, and it just, you can see it from right when you walk in, and it just grows bigger and bigger as you come. The whole building is designed Although it's got thousands of paintings and other objects and works of art, the whole building is designed to show off this one painting. And that's, amazingly, that's how God has created the whole cosmos, the whole universe, to show off what it describes in Ephesians as his work of art, his workmanship, the people of God. The whole of the universe is designed, the whole of how he's engineered the world is designed to show off his love through his people, us. That's at the very heart of what he's doing in this story. The presence of God has come upon his people so he can display his glory to the world. Again, you read Psalm after Psalm of how God wants all the world to know his glory, but it comes, it shines out through his people. The Spirit creates, he creates a new humanity, his church. The Spirit also, in this story, it unifies. If you, if you flick through the passage, you'll find four or five different times where it says, in verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, in verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Verse 39, the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off. What this passage is telling us when it repeats that phrase again and again and again, when it says that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters, your young men, your old men, the male and female, so it's saying everybody, sons and daughters, young and old, men and women, rich and poor. All the different races, all the different peoples that are named in this city, I think for everybody, the Holy Spirit has come. Because again, one of the themes of this passage is this great reversal that's taken place. That if you go again back to the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 11, you might know the story of Babel or Babel, where again, the, the people of God decide to reject God and his plan. And they build this great tower in their city, this great tower so they can reach up into the sky, so they can reach heaven themselves. They built this great monument which is symbolic of their desire for self-sufficiency, their desire for their own human independence. They're saying, we don't need God. We'll just build this great tower instead. Which sounds ridiculous, but we do the same all the time. We're faced with problems and challenges and situations. They say, we, we, I don't need God. I'll fix this myself. Normally, that doesn't go very well for me. Maybe you're better than I am. But that's what they've done here. They've decided that they don't need God. And what happens is God says, well, if that's how you want it to be, if you just want to just go and do your own thing, then, then go. And he scatters them off. And he gives them all sorts of different languages. He sows confusion among them. And they can't understand each other anymore. And they scatter off all over, all over the earth, all these different languages, all this confusion. And we still see the the seed of that today. You know, even right now, we have Russian troops on the border of the Ukraine. And everyone's asking the same question, what, what are they gonna do? And at the heart of this problem is this fatal issue that nobody knows. Because they're constantly misunderstanding one another. There's constantly confusion because people don't understand how Russia, how Vladimir Putin, how he thinks because he comes with a completely different language, a completely different worldview, a completely different goals and aims, and no one really knows. And they do the same thing. They don't understand how we think. The EU or the USA or whoever. You just see at the heart of this problem, this conflict is just confusion. And that's what's happened in the story of Babel. But what God does in Acts, he's reversing it. The disunity that had come into the world and all these languages came, the confusion, the scattering. When the Spirit comes and they start speaking out the mighty works of God in languages that everybody can understand, it's God, he's reversing it all. He's flipping it all around. He's saying that the disunity that happened, the confusion was, that was there, I'm reversing it. Where there's been anger and strife and hatred of one another, he's turning it all back around 
in the book of Ephesians, which is a wonderful book all about the church. It says in chapter 2 that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple by the Lord. In him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he turns the church into his dwelling place that everybody can come into. That from whatever background, even in this room, I can see people from the people that I know from multiple different nations. It's a wonderful display of the technicolor wisdom of God. He brings people in who we wouldn't normally be in a room together. Or we might be, we'd be in a restaurant not speaking to one another. But God brings the church together, people from all sorts of different backgrounds. People who might normally perhaps not even like one another. <laughs> he brings us together, he unites us by his spirit. There's this wonderful unity that takes place. And our job now is, it, talks, it goes on in Ephesians to say that we have to fight to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That the Spirit has come and sowed this unity, but if you've been in churches before, if you've been around this church for a while, you'll be familiar with the experience that you suddenly discover that people are people no matter if they're Christians or not. The people will sometimes offend you. They'll say things that you don't like. They'll do things that seem selfish and self-centered. And why do they do that? Why did the preacher say those things? I don't agree with him. I'm sure you've had that experience. And there can come in your heart a desire to then ignore or to cut off because that's how we're trained to do relationships we're trained to think that as soon as we encounter any discomfort in our relationships that we just well there's we just swipe left just get rid of that one anything we just don't like just, why, why would I have that in my life that's how we do relationships but not in the church the Spirit's come to bring unity and we have to fight to maintain it. It talks about how the people of God should have patience with one another or the way it translates it is long-suffering. Sometimes you have to suffer people for a very long time. And the church is supposed to be the family of God. Brothers and sisters, mums and dads, kids. And we'll, we'll rub each other up the wrong way will offend one another. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he, he empowers us, he equips us to fight to maintain the unity that God's given us. And that's so important. If you're new to this church, maybe you just walked in, maybe you're just deciding whether or not you want this to be your home. We want to be real about what sort of community we are. We're not perfect we're really not warts and all you are invited to join this church but we invite you to just come with an open heart come ready to get to know one another to love one another to 
serve and blessed to put each other first and to fight to maintain what God's done within us because I, I just, I don't know how to put it more succinctly or clearly, so I'll just keep rambling, but the, the, the church is just right at the center of God's plan and that should affect how we live. So often we live in the world and we visit the church. You know, we come to church for a service or for a meeting or for a, for a community group or for a Bible study. But actually our life is out in the world and the church is just someone we visit. Whereas actually now what's happened at Pentecost is it's turned that all around. And it's actually saying, no, no, you, you live in the church. We want to visit and serve the world. We want to love this city that God's called us to. But what, what shapes us, what forms us, where we love and serve and when we grow and flourish, where we, how we get to know Jesus is here with the people. Finally, the Spirit sends. And he sends power for all. He sends power. See, the book of Acts is, uh, as we've been saying a few times, it's the, it's the second part of uh, a two-part story. There's the book of Luke, which tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry. And then the book of Acts, written by the same author, by Luke, it tells the story of what Jesus continues to do through his people, through us, through the church. And lots of the characters that you find in the book of Acts were also in Luke. Jesus, Peter, who's giving this message, you can read lots about him in Luke. But the Peter in Luke is very different from the Peter in Acts. If you know his story, he's, he's a bit of a tool. You know, he's not very bright. He misunderstands Jesus all the time. He does stupid things. He's a bit of, in English, we'd call him a plonker. He's just a bit odd. And yet, the Peter that we see even here delivering this message at Pentecost, you think, is this the same guy? What, what's happened? Well, the Holy Spirit's come. His power of God has come. The story of Acts is just the story of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that's what the church is called to be, just a whole group of ordinary people, ordinary Jones and Charles doing extraordinary things by the power of God. And that power, what that looks like is it's a power to recreate this recreative power of the Holy Spirit that's come, this, to bring about this new creation. That's the extraordinary thing we get to do, that we get to turn the world upside down with the creative power of God. And what that looks like is if, if you're a teacher or if you're an artist, if you're an IT professional or a graphic designer or you're a mum or you're a student, is that wherever you find yourself, the power of God is with you and you're commissioned, you're sent there by his power to to bring his recreative power in that place. To when you see broken relationships, to help bring healing. You know, when you see 
uh, um, problems in the world to help bring solutions aid and help and love and support as a church when we see need in our city when we see the poor and the uh, the disenfranchised the disadvantaged the voiceless we want to speak up for them we want to serve them we want to bless them we want to bring a, a kind of a new creative life into this city and that's what the church gets to do that whether you realize it or not, but you're here this morning because God sent you here. Whether you've lived in this city your whole life or you are just arrived, God sent you here for a purpose. And he wants to equip you with his power to little by little, bit by bit, turn this city upside down for the glory of God. That's what the church is called to do. And he gives us, I'm running out of time, he gives us power to speak. See, we believe in what we would call the priesthood of all believers that now, now Jesus has come, now he's sent his spirit, that all of us can have our own personal relationship with God, that we don't need a vicar or a pastor or a priest to be some mediator, that Jesus is our mediator. Now we can all know God. We can all know his presence. But we also believe in the prophethood of all believers, that God can speak to you. He speaks to you through his word, the primary way. But also we can, we can hear God. That you can receive tasks, ministry commissions, things that God wants you to do. Joe and I, we moved here to the city eight years ago because God told us to. I'll tell you the story another time if you'd like to hear it. But very simply, he said, this is what I want you to do. So we did it. We followed the voice of God. And God still speaks today. Maybe you just, often it will come to you through, there's just a dream or desire that you've always had. And it might not be, it might not feel very holy. It might feel very unholy. You know, I just want to be this thing or do that thing. And often that's a dream that God's put there. <laughs> I'm not saying that you hear God and then you all have to become pastors. You will have to move to different countries and do different things. But no, it's, it's God's called you to be a teacher. God's called you to be a plumber. God's called you whatever it is. That you, there's like a, a seed of a dream in your heart. It's because God's put it there. And he wants you to take hold of that with his, the power of God and think, how can I use that dream for the kingdom of God? How can I see the kingdom of God break out in the life he's called me to? And we believe that God speaks, that God brings, the book of Corinthians call it, calls it words of knowledge. We believe that God heals. We believe the power of God that we're going to read about. We're going to encounter it in this story again and again. Just miraculous tales of what God did. But they're all hints of miraculous things that God continues to do. That he wants to move in power in his church, his people. And I'm going to close with another question. We started by asking, what does this mean? And then after Peter explains it to them, they, this great crowd says, well, what shall we do? That's the second question they asked. What shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, which includes us. 
Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, you can take that verse seriously. You can say, God, I want to turn away from my old life. I want to join in with this great mission. I want to know your love in a personal way. Would you help me to repent and I want to follow you? You can make a decision even to get baptized today to put your trust in Jesus. If you're here, like many of us are, and you're a follower of Jesus, you can ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again. It wasn't just a one-off, it wasn't just the day of Pentecost and then that's it, God sent his spirit, off we go. If you go in this story, you'll find just a few chapters later, Acts chapter four, the same group of people, they're gathered together again and they have a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit fills them again. It happens again and again, Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter 17. There's moment after moment after moment where the Holy Spirit comes and fills his people. And you can ask for that again this morning. And the, the first thing that the Holy Spirit will do is he will, he'll point towards the love of Jesus in your heart. Because <laughs> he's, you know, it, maybe if you're new to this church, you think you guys get excited a lot. You know, you throw your arms in the air, you sing songs. It's just because we're excited about Jesus, but not as much as the Holy Spirit is. And when he comes into your heart, he just he wants to show you the love of Christ for you again. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to pray. And then Joe's going to lead us. Jesus, we... We just want to ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and fill us again. That I just I want to know more of you, God. This promise of the Father, this Spirit of Jesus. I want to know your power at work in my life. Because I, w- I want to do all these things that you've called us, that you've called the church to do. I want us as a community, to, I want us to little by little, inch by inch, and it might take decades. I want to see this city turned upside down by your power. I want to see the, the relationships, the lives in this community just grow into health and maturity by your spirit. I want us to love one another with a, a, the unity that only the spirit can bring. But first and foremost, more than anything else, I want us to know you, Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just come and make the love of Jesus that you would just pour out into our hearts again. That's the first thing you do, Holy Spirit. You just pour the love of Christ into our hearts. We just want to invite you to do that. We invite you to start your recreative work in each one of us. We're now new creations because of what you've done. And we just want to pray your spirit would flood into the gardens of our heart, bring new life, bring flourishing, bring healing, bring faith. We just pray as we sing now, would you just speak and move amongst us, we ask. Amen.